Hey folks, welcome to, well, not the Adventure Sports Podcast today. Today, it's the Hidden Trails of Oregon. This is a bonus episode that we are showing on uh, our feed because our good friend of the show, Aaron Miller, he was our guest on uh, episode 614, Adventures in Travel Riding. He produces his own show called Armchair Explorer. Well, he has expanded that, and he is making more shows with with more folks in all sorts of different uh, places. And this one specifically is in collaboration with Travel Oregon, where he did a series of in-person, on-the-ground, on-location audio documentary experiences uh, and we're going to play one of those episodes today, and this specific episode is all about his adventures around Crater Lake, lava tubes, fly fishing with Native American guides, and it's a it's a really amazing experience, very different than what we typically have on this show. So if you enjoy the show, you can find Hidden Trails of Oregon anywhere you get podcasts, as well as all the other shows that Aaron produces um, over at Armchair Productions. You can search it up, armchair-productions.com. They've got some absolutely incredible stuff over there. So I'm a big fan of Oregon and the hidden trails. I'm a big fan of getting off the beaten path and going for the the places when you visit somewhere that not everyone is going. So this show is for you if you're interested in those things. So check it out, Hidden Trails of Oregon. And let's go ahead and dive in. From wild coasts and volcanic peaks to lush vineyards and streets bursting with creativity, join me on the Hidden Trails of Oregon. We're going behind the travel veil to those secret places only locals know. In Oregon, the extraordinary is ordinary, and the adventure is about to begin. the final leg of our road trip around the state following the central nature trail from Crater Lake National Park to the Columbia River Gorge. We're gonna hike to snowy peaks, crawl in rocky caves, float down rivers, and maybe catch a fish or two. And through it all, we're gonna find out why for Oregonians and for us, the outdoors is about more than pretty views and wild times. It's also about stewardship. Because experiencing the wonder of nature, as we'll see, is more than just a fleeting passion. It's the seed from which conservation grows. And we're gonna start at one of the most awe-inspiring places in the entire world. Well, we're about to enter the park. There's the sign. Crater Lake National Park, west entrance. I'm gonna do a little mouth trumpet. <laughs> We're gonna get just a teaser here. Off to the left, right there. Oh my God. Look at that. That is what it feels like to see Crater Lake for the first time. We're with Nathan Dwyer from Main Street Tours and he's taking us to his favorite viewpoint in the national park, the 8,000 foot summit of Watchman Peak. Deep drifts of late spring snow blanket the ground and dust the crater's rim in sparkling white. The cascades fade into the distance in soft hues of darkening purple. And in the center of it all, like a sapphire embedded in the earth, is the mirror still reflection of the most beautiful lake in America. In summer, a road circles the perimeter of the lake for 33 spectacular miles. But before the snow melts, most of it is closed. So Nathan parks the van, we strap our snowshoes on our backs and hike the rest of the way along the road to the trailhead where we'll begin our climb. All right, let's do this. Yeah. So, in 1853, a prospector named uh, John Wesley Hillman was looking for a lost gold mine. His story is that he fell asleep on his horse, but he was awoken when the horse stopped abruptly on that very edge of this rim right here. Smart horse. At Discovery Point. He said he saw the deep blue lake, as he called it, 
you know, all the glory of the Lord unfurled before him, you know. And so he named it Deep Blue Lake at the time. And so he's credited with the quote unquote discovery of the lake. But people have been here in the Klamath Basin for many, many thousands of years. In fact, it is known now that there were witnesses to the eruption of Crater Lake, of the caldera 7,700 years ago. And there are artifacts found buried in ash of human settlements. So the indigenous people of this area, that is their heritage. And this place is definitely in all of their songs and all of their stories. There isn't a place like this anywhere else in the world. That color comes from it being the clearest, cleanest water. It's so clear and clean because it has no inlet and no outlet, like almost every other lake has. Instead, that water is something I like to call fossil water because it is exactly 7,700 odd years of snowmelt and nothing else. 7,000 years of snowmelt. Every snow and melt contributes to the depth of the lake. In fact, the lake is gaining in depth, incrementally, tiny amounts, every year, from all this snow melting into it. You know, given infinite amount of time and no other eruptions or earthquakes, then the lake would actually fill up over the top, <laughs> breach the top, break down the caldera walls, and, and empty out, eventually. Okay, so, at one point, we would have been um, traversing the flanks of a mountain called Mazama, and it was a stratovolcano, so it has many eruptions. And it erupted so many times around the rim that it weakened the whole base of the mountain, such that the entire mountain sank into itself cataclysmically in a matter of 24 hours, in a matter of one day. There was a mountain standing here with all its glaciers and trees and all its glory. And the next day, a smoking pit, a vast depression in the earth that it had left behind. So it wasn't a volcanic eruption in the way we think of it as yes. blowing off the top and yes. leaving this crater behind. You're saying it was a series that undermined the structural integrity of the mountain and then it, it actually collapsed in on itself. Exactly. Was it was less an explosion than it was an implosion. Huh. So we can uh, get off-road anytime here. We have to kind of, we got to get on top of that. Just uh, shedding a layer here because the trail's getting really steep and we're putting on snowshoes for it. And snowshoes are a lot of fun, but they are tiring. We have about a mile to hike up to the top of Watchman Peak, but it's going to be totally worth it because it's the most amazing view. All right, let's get these on. You'll wear these ones. You just kind of stick your hoof in there. Snowshoes are not um, completely without their hassle, but they are absolutely necessary, as you'll see very soon, you know. Sometimes you got to work for it. Yeah. But you know, I always think that all be the best things you got to work for. All the best things you got to work for, you for. And I always think the the quality of a view, the awesomeness of a view, is relative to the how hard you have to work to get there. Yeah. That's right. Snowshoeing is fairly intuitive. You just walk, but you take larger, higher strides, like a monster or a yeti. And welcome, we are now in the backcountry. Yes. And it takes about 10 minutes or 20 minutes to get warmed up and used to this pace. But you get in the rhythm and uh, it's really a, a wonderful trance-like state. You get in the rhythm from breathing and marching. I love snowshoeing, but it's already feeling a little tired. But you feel like you're really off the beaten path, which of course you are. Just walking through these big snow drifts and the lake teasing me 
peeking out below me. All right, let's keep going. These are bear tracks. Bear tracks? You can see the claws. You see the claws. Now when it gets steep like this, you want to kick step again. Because the bottom of these snowshoes has crampons that will dig in and keep you from sliding backwards. Feels like it's opening up a little bit. Yeah, and you see the shelter. Oh yeah, we can see the summit. It looks close, but looks can be deceiving. I feel like we're the only human beings on the earth right now. That is silent. Yeah. It's astonishing how quiet it is. And that's actually for me a big part of being in nature too. It's the sound element of it, just like getting away from the noise. All right. All right, final stretch. Feels like getting super steep. Really digging the poles in. Now, let's get up this last section. Oh man, this is crazy steep now. All right, last bit, down in the corner. Come on. Close the wind. Come on. Oh, oh yeah. Oh my God. There is the lake. Oh my God. Woo! Yes! It is astonishing. A blue so deep, so pure, so vast and all-encompassing that it fills every sense, not just the eyes. For the Native American Klamath people who have made their home here for thousands of years, Crater Lake is a sacred place, and it's easy to see why. Nowhere is nature's sublime beauty and raw power seen together in such harmony in a single glance. We thought we'd reached the end. In summer, we would have. There would have been nowhere else to go. But Nathan has other ideas. The winter snowpack has buried the watchtower that gives this peak its name up to its roof. And we're gonna climb to the top of it for a view almost no one gets to see. Do not get pitched over that way. Yeah, that way. If you fall, fall like hug the rock here, okay? Okay. Now we're doing like low level alpinism. One side is pretty much straight down and you are not gonna be able to stop yourself. It's about a narrow three foot snow path. Oh man. Okay, so exposure's coming in here. Super take it easy. Coming around the corner. Right in my we're way places. above. Okay, I'm stepping if in you your fall shoes. Backwards, you'll not stop. Okay. High consequence here. Oh yes! Oh, I fell forward, it's okay. Okay. That's the way to go. Easy there. Oh fellas. my god. It's a little intense. Looking no, behind. Right on this cornice, so. Oh you can't my do god. It too far out. Yes! Yes! Yeah, kick kick those in. Kick those in Here, hard. Give me your pulse. Give me your mind, mic, me. Yes, sir. And this way, this way is treacherous yes. too. Any which way you fall here is is doomed. We're right on the edge. This is real alpinism. <laughs> Good work. Yes. And we certainly worked for it, didn't we? <laughs> you know, you look at landscapes like this, you just think that this is why poetry was invented, right? Mm -hmm. Like the first people that came up there is just like you can't help but think in that kind of aesthetic 
and it links us, it binds us in a way, right? Like what we're feeling here on the top of this insanely crazy and exposed ridge is the same as the first people that came here. We're all kind of feeling that same sense of awe and wonder and that kind of connects us in some ways, I always feel. Yeah, that's right. You really can't help but feel it. When you put in a little effort to get a little higher or uh, you know, get to another vantage point, you know, you feel a sense of being placed in this time and space um, in a different way. That's the sublime. The sublime is a timeless element that is beyond what we can conceive of. It brings you out of your routines and gives you a new perspective. It's also super important for itself and for our view toward conservation. It instantly, you know, gives you a, a feeling of also wanting to protect a place like this because it's so important for the soul of humankind in the future of not only this landscape, but the future of humanity, I believe. So it's big. And that seems like a general statement. It couldn't even seem cliche, but I don't mind. <laughs> I think it's spot on. Nathan, I don't know if it, how easy it is to hug in snowshoes, but I feel like I, we got to <laughs> hug it out, man. Thanks yeah, for yeah, taking man. me here. This is amazing. If it's one of the most down, amazing we'll go down places. Together. <laughs> <laughs> yes! I am looking out at the most magnificent view I've ever seen. Crater Lake is spread out before me. The deepest, purest blue you'll ever see just fading into this delicious turquoise color. It's absolutely breathtaking, it's stunning, it's moving. And you can understand why when the Native Americans who lived in this area, when they would come up here, they revered this place as a holy place. This was a sacred place to them, and it still is for us to this day, because when you're in landscapes like this, when you're immersed in these landscapes, when you've climbed up on your own two feet to the top of a view like this, you feel connected to something bigger than yourself, something that makes you feel humble, but part of something vast and incredible. Every single thing I can see here is mountains, the incredible cascades fading into this disappearing lines of blue mountains. It's like nowhere else on earth. You have to come here to see it, to feel that, to feel that reverence for yourself. And that's what this episode is all about because nature doesn't just make us feel wonder, it makes us want to protect it too. And that's why you have to just jump straight in. And that's what Oregon is all about. And we have lots more to come. Um, how the heck do we get down from here? Oh, so, I don't know. <laughs> well, there's an easy way. <laughs> and there's a safe way. <laughs> all right, down. Oh, I like this. It's like you're mini skiing down. Yeah, kind of. Yes! <laughs> this is brilliant. Oh! <laughs> yeah! Glissade! Yeah, I did the old avalanche training arrest, that's right. Crater Lake! Crater Lake and drive three hours north to the legendary adventure town of Bend on the banks of the Deschutes River. We're in search of more of that wonder and reverence that we felt on Watchman Peak. And Bend doesn't disappoint, but in a completely different way. Because from the top of a volcano looking down, we're going beneath one to peer inside. But first, it's sunset and we're going for a paddle. Pretty immediately as you leave town, you exit the city and enter the beautiful Ponderosa Pine Forest. And you go from down here where it's warm and dry to up in the Cascades where we have many feet of snow. This is Chris Pleasance from Wanderlust Tours, a local outfitter that specializes in what Bend is all about. I think in general, the vibe out here is, and the reason that people come here, uh, is because of the laid back uh, and outdoorsy vibe and how beautiful those outdoor things we have are out here. You know, you can go up into the mountains to ski, 
when the snow melts, you can go up there to backpack, mountaineer on the volcanoes we have here. Um, we've got tons of lakes and rivers. Um, so I think that's really what draws people to Bend, um, is really that access to, to the outdoors. All right, so turning off here onto a little dirt road. Dillon Falls day use area down here. Let's, let's jump on the river for some sunset. <laughs> Alright. Let's hop out here. Grab onto the front. Okay. There you go. And then you can kind of walk your hands back. And then if you want to try to flip it over to either side. There you go. Got it. Yep. Carry it down. Walk on down here. Wow, what a beautiful spot to watch the sunset. Flip it around. It's immediately shoulders dropped, don't they? Just like coming down to a place like this. Sun setting. It's quiet. The river is perfectly still. Calm out here, not too windy right now. Um, so it's always slightly awkward getting in, um, but I'll basically push this back here. It's gonna be a little bit tippy until I push you a couple more feet in, and then it'll get more stable. And okay. Let's do it. Go. On the river. Off you go. Yeah. Just go uh, 20 feet or so out there. We'll be right behind you. Oh. So chilled. Just the perfect time of day for a paddle on the Deschutes River. So relaxing already. Been on the water for about a minute. I kind of scoot us off here. And there we go. We're off from the shore now. All right, Aaron, so we're gonna just paddle upriver for a couple minutes here, get the arms warmed up, enjoy, uh, enjoy a little bit of the river here, and then we'll stop and chat about some things in just a couple minutes. Sounds perfect, yeah, just enjoy some of this paddling. All I can hear is a bird song, a lap of water as I paddle through this still river. The sun is just turning the banks golden. Chris is just up ahead of me there. We're drifting through the river. And where ocean kayaking is filled with energy and adventure, river kayaking, at least when it's smooth like this, is just like a kind of water meditation. Well, I'm actually a little bit disappointed, Chris, because we're joined by about 50 swallows just catching their dinner and skimming the water around us. I thought we were gonna have this place to ourselves, And about a million frogs, it sounds like, over there. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to uh, the sounds of spring out here. Those, uh, the frogs have just awoken from their hibernation and they're ready to get it on, make some tadpoles. <laughs> uh, so um, the males will use their voice to attract females. And uh, that's what you can hear happening over there, the sweet, uh, the sweet sound of spring baby frog making. <laughs> <laughs> the sweet sound of horny toes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Man, look at all those birds. They're just going crazy up there. Wow. That's the beauty of coming out on the river during sunset here is uh, all the birds come out to munch on the evening hatches. There are dozens and dozens of swallows just swooping and flying by and skimming the water and looking for their dinner and enjoying those last beautiful moments of sunset. They're everywhere, all around us. So we're gonna, we're gonna paddle up and around the corner here. Uh, there's something pretty neat at the top of this tree off to the left here that I wanna point out. 
osprey really like to build their nests at the top of trees, especially dead ones like that, huh. uh, and especially right along the side of the river. So that's an osprey nest up there. Uh, it's been there for many years at this point. I feel like that's the penthouse of osprey nests. You know, right? <laughs> that's a pretty good one as yeah. far as they go. Yeah, you got a view of the mountains, the river, get to hear the frogs. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is wild rose that we're sitting right next to. It's um, basically the first species that all roses came from. Huh. Oh, there, there, there's the osprey. You can hear him right behind us. Oh. Yeah, see? Flying right over here. around there. Yeah, about to come right overhead. It's beautiful, that osprey just silhouetted, gliding in the sunset. The babies chirping underneath. It's idyllic. I always feel like when I'm in some, a place like this that something just relaxes in my mind. Absolutely, yeah. I think one of the things that I've noticed from spending time outside with myself and friends and, and guests uh, doing the tours is that we don't sit in silence outside enough. It's one of the most powerful things that you can do outside is sit and listen to what's going on around us. We're surrounded by so much noise every day, no matter where you are. Um, and a lot of times people just continue on with that when they go outside. You know, they're constantly moving, walking, talking, whatnot. We don't actually sit still and, and listen to it very often. And when you do, it's, uh, it's pretty incredible. We're part of it all, um, but we uh, very often at times separate ourselves from, from the world out here. And so experiences like this can help us you know, reconnect, find our place in that because if we think we're separate from all of this, then that's uh, not a great foot to start on. Man, I love just floating around having deep conversations. Very <laughs> <laughs> nice. Let's, uh, let's paddle a little further up river here before we go back and have some dinner. that looks like we got a beaver lodge ever still left over there we get to see them occasionally beaver are really cool creatures they they eat the cambium layer you know what is that a beaver swimming up river towards us right you're now? joking it's i think that might be a beaver swimming up beaver river towards us right oh now my God. <laughs> hold that thought i wasn't expecting to see that i've never seen one before let's just float down towards it be nice and quiet there it goes. But these guys are incredibly important out here. Beaver are really crucial to a lot of watersheds, and one of the things that they do when they build dams, they completely can change watersheds by allowing more water to stay in there. Um, there it is again. He's on the bank side. Oh, yeah, there it is. Swimming up there. So what do you think he's doing there right now? I think it's probably just cruising around going to look for either some food or some more materials to add on to their lodge. They're constantly building their lodge um, because they will stay in that lodge for as long as they can. They live there year-round, so they're just constantly, constantly adding to it, constantly renovating. Pretty much a shame doing lots of home improvement. <laughs> exactly. I just spend my Sundays down the park. Busy beavers. <laughs> Whoa! Well, what is that? You see that? Yeah. Yeah, fish just came all the way out of the water. And every time I start talking, all these <laughs> these animals are like, no, I'm the star of the show. <laughs> <laughs> Could you just say like, oh, bear on the yeah. side of the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ooh, it's starting to get chilly. Yeah, it is. I gotta get, get back to my yeah, deck. I gotta warm up a bit. Sweet. <laughs> Man, that was speedy. Nice job, we made it back. That was so we, fun. We didn't lose Baby anyone. Ospreys, Thank you. a beaver, uh -huh. a deep chat, some floating, some sunset, and yeah. some horny frogs. <laughs> what else could you want from a kayak? Lava flow peppers the banks along this section of the Deschutes. It was born 7,000 years ago when a nearby eruption spewed molten rock across 10 square miles, damming the river for a time and burning all in its path. 
And that same eruption created our next stop too, because as the lava flowed, it was pushed underground and formed a network of caves that still honeycomb the ground to this day. They're called lava tubes, and we're going inside one. Well, before we go underground, we're gonna get you fitted out with helmets here. Um, doesn't need to be too tight. We're not doing backflips or anything down there. That's what you think. Um, <laughs> I guess I haven't gone underground with you yet before, Aaron. So there you go. Let's get this helmet strapped on. Cool. How's that feel? It's on there good? I feel like a caving top gun right yeah. now. <laughs> that is good. Let's go. I'm so ready for this. <laughs> I'm a little bit worried because I, I figured we'd be like walking into a cliff cave, you know, and just like <laughs> going in gently, but I'm actually looking at a hole, mm -hmm. a pretty ominous looking hole in the ground right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, uh, the way that we get into the caves here, the only reason we have access to this cave uh, is because of what we call a skylight. So the roof of this cave just happened to collapse right here, creating an entrance uh, that we can now get down into it. All right, we'll turn our headlamps on here so we can see. Use the railing here. Watch your head at the bottom. There's kind of a low rock down here. Going down about 25 steps into the ground. Wow. Yeah, I don't know what I expected, but it genuinely looks like a tube. It's probably 20 feet tall, I don't know, 40 feet wide. It's different to any other cave I've been into before. Yeah, yeah, this was, these tubes are created from rivers of lava. I'm going to switch my headlamp on, and oh my gosh, we're heading down. I can see like it's just winding around the corner, it's dark. How far does that go back? So this cave is 1,860 feet long, but it feels like quite a lot further than that when you yeah. get in the cave here. The ground is, is kind of uneven, boulder crawling, and lots of zigs and zags in the cave here, so it ends up feeling like you're walking quite a bit further than that. And the rock formation on the top is really interesting. It looks like the rock's melting from the ceiling. Yeah, the texture that we're seeing on the ceiling here with awesome. all of these drips. These are what we call lava sickles. We're really creative <laughs> with our naming. Uh, you just take icicle and put lava on top of it. The ceiling and the walls of this cave would have still been molten lava as this whole thing was starting to settle and cool. And all that molten lava would have been dripping down onto the floor. And eventually it reached the point where it turned into solid rock, freezing in place those drips that were dripping off the ceiling. It looks exactly like that. If you could imagine like holding a candle upside down and letting it drip, you can see the movement in it. Mm -hmm. I'd never really thought of it like that before, but it makes sense that the, the lava flow would solidify on top and then that would insulate the, the inner lava mm -hmm. and, and that would just keep pushing through. Mm -hmm. It's amazing, it's hard to comprehend. It's very easy for like us in our, you know, our, the quick lives that we have compared to this kind of deeper geologic time mm -hmm. to think that this is all stuff in the past, but it's really interesting to think that this, now this is a process that's continually ongoing. We're seeing one example of it in the past, but this is a process that's happening all the time. And there's something incredibly mind-blowing about that. You just looked over my shoulder in a really scary way, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I always, I always think that it's, it's interesting because everything looks static out here, right? There's no volcanoes erupting anywhere near us, um, but we are by no means in a dormant period out here. The, the volcano that created this lava tube is still a very active volcano, only about 20 miles from where we are right now. Oh, I feel like it's narrowing down a little <laughs> bit down there. Yeah, the cave has this interesting formation of where it narrows and then it opens up and then it narrows and it opens up. And the reason for that is because the lava or the volcano emits lava at different rates and so once it starts to slow down the rate at which it's emitting lava the cave will start to narrow and then it'll get another surge 
and it'll push through and open back up again into a big room and then it'll slow down a bit and narrow and then you'll get another surge that causes it to open up again and so that's why we've, we've observed the widening and the narrowing of the cave. I'm gonna have to scramble over yeah. a few boulders to get to the next piece of the cave. Yeah, so this is one of the first kind of boulder fields we'll have to go over here. Um, so just watch your step, make sure you, you test the rocks before you trust them. Using hands and feet, find our way across. Oh, so I'm having to duck down now because the ceiling has got so low. Okay, just kind of crawling down backwards here. Looking for some handholds. Done. Made it down. It's too small to stand up in now. <laughs> I mean, you found a little pocket there. We're, we're getting there. Yeah. We're getting there. It gets a little lower here. Um, all right, up the impossible boulder wall or crawling through the tiny, terrifying crack? <laughs> I prefer the impossible boulder crawl, but right. you know, once again, choose your own adventure. Wait, they both go the same place? They do both go the same way. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> this way requires less crouching. All right, we cleared that boulder wall. Seems to be leveling it out. Oh my God, it's just going on forever. I can't believe we're here in a place like this. When we talk about exploring, we talk about you know exploring the Amazon or crossing deserts, but there's so much hidden under the ground too, isn't there, that you don't even really think about until you come down to a place like this. Oh yeah, absolutely. There's miles and miles of caves out here to be explored. You don't think of this as like a spectacular view, but it is because it's such a rare view. Like, you know, you never get to see something like this. I almost feel like I'm kind of peering through the inner workings of the earth. Like these are the bits you're not meant to see. This is like behind the magician's trick, yeah. right? Like exactly. the trick is up there. That's the result. <laughs> and we're down here where, you know, you're not supposed to be behind the magician's where he's hiding his cards. It's yeah. kind of cool. Absolutely, yeah, I think that in addition to obviously just the beauty of seeing the cave and the formations that we get to see down here, just like the experience of being underground yeah. is, is beauty in and of itself, just feeling yourself being surrounded by earth yeah. in all directions. It's like the exact opposite of standing on top of a mountain, but not you know, lesser for it. It's it's just different, like really different. Mm -hmm. And now we've reached the first crawling portion of the cave. Oh, here we go. <laughs> oh, 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 you're not joking. No. <laughs> you ready to be rebirthed? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that is really small. What is that like? Three feet high or something like that? It's two, 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 two feet oh, high? Oh man, it's probably less than three feet high. You gotta get on your hands and knees for sure to get through there. Okay. Let's do it. Yeah? I'm, no, I really wanna try it. Feeling up for it? Yeah, I am, yeah. Okay. Just kinda squeeze your way through, get down on your hands and knees. All right. On through here. This is kinda insane. Yep. All right, I'm through. Just uh, just embrace the dirt and uh, we'll get clean again once we get back on top. I am embracing the dirt. It's <laughs> <laughs> definitely one thing I'm doing. Crawling, I'm about six inches above this ground. It's like a sandy ground. Crawling through this tunnel. <laughs> Squeeze. This is insane. Nice. Oh, that's fun though. Yeah, you made it. Yeah. Job. All right, so it's gonna stay. Uh, it's gonna stay pretty low here. There's one spot right here where you can stand for just a second, stretch out the back. All right, gets gets a little bit uh, shallow down here again. So watch your head. Okay. It's really hard to to walk through this. Try not to bang my head. Oh. All right, we're here, the back of the cave. 
almost the back of the cave, that is. We've still got maybe 50 feet or so to go. It looks like the end of the cave. <laughs> it does look like the end. <laughs> so uh, at this point, I'm going to take my backpack off because it gets too narrow. This one's going to be significantly narrower than the last one we went through. Uh, significantly narrower. How's that possible? <laughs> um, it's about the size of your the width of your shoulders. Um, just for a second. So it'll be about as narrow as the last one we went through. And then there's one spot where it squeezes and you have to really wiggle your way through and then it opens back up again. Right. But the one spot the one spot that it squeezes, you really kind of have to shove yourself through. I kind of like to do the inchworm technique where you'll basically... That doesn't sound fun. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it's, it's tons of fun. What do you mean? You basically get on your hands and knees like you're planking and then you'll scoot yourself forward like that. Okay. <laughs> All right, the final push here. Yep, I'm right in the tight spot here. Oh my God. Chris is literally worm crawling himself through the cave in front of me right now. All right, I'm through. Is this, the, this is the claustrophobia test right here, isn't it? <laughs> you got this. You know that moment when you look behind you and it's just pure darkness for a thousand feet? Yeah, you can either be alone with that or... I, I sort of feel like I might not fit through, through this. All right. Okay, I'm controlling myself. Oh. Here we go. Oh. There you go. All right. This is... Welcome. Yes. This is the end of the cave. It's yeah, high. No walk in the park, that's for sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think this is one of the maddest things I've ever done. I'm just but, gonna, but I'm gonna pause. It. I'm gonna pause here in this position, lying on my stomach, a thousand feet into a lava tube underground, and just reflect on what am I doing here? <laughs> what? How have I come to this point in my life that I'm <laughs> squeezing through a crack in a lava tube? Well, but yes, I've survived. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this place feels so spacious now. <laughs> oh God, dude. Welcome back, Chris. Thank you. What an adventure. You did it. What an adventure. But we're not quite done yet because Chris has one last thing to show us. Yeah, one of my favorite things to do down here is turn all of our lights off and experience total darkness because you really don't get to see that or experience that many other times in your life except when you're, you know, 50 feet underground like we are right now. So let's go ahead and turn these off. Oh my God. And now, welcome to I'm Total Darkness. My eyes open or closed? I, I don't know, I'm I can't see. I'm putting my hand directly in front of my eyes and I can't see a difference at all. Can we just first, like, can we stay in silence for like 30 seconds and see what it feels like? Yeah, absolutely. Let's uh, count down from three. I'll count down from three. Let's try to be as still and quiet as we can. All right? Ready? Three, two, one. All right. Oh, I didn't like that. <laughs> was it just me, or did it feel like someone was looking over your shoulder? No, I didn't feel spooked. But I, I could feel like a, or hear a rumble. Did you hear any of that? Uh, I, uh, like an earthy rumble. You can hear pretty much everything when we're quiet down here. You can hear, I feel like I can hear myself blink. Yeah, yeah. I, I, or my heart beating. You can something. hear your heart beating, can hear all the clothes on your body wrestling around. It's, it's pretty silent down here. All right, see you guys. Uh, have a good time. No! I'll see you at the bed. No! We survive, and Chris doesn't leave us in the dark, of course. But on my way out, I can't help but marvel about the immense forces that created this cave, the incomprehensible power that can collapse a mountain at Crater Lake, and the eons to fill it with raindrops and snowmelt. This deep geologic time is impossible for the flash of our lives to comprehend. But yet, somehow, being here, we can catch a glimpse of it, as fleeting as birdsong at dusk on the river. And it is to another river that we're headed next. Not to kayak, but to commune, to slow down. And maybe, if we're lucky, catch a fish or two.
with Alicia Littleleaf, a member of the Confederated Tribes of Warm Springs and the co-owner of Little Leaf Guide Services. She's taking us on a very special fly fishing trip to some secret spots on tribal land that you can only access with a native guide. The Warm Springs, the Wasco, and the Paiute. That's the three tribes that are down here, and myself and my husband and our kids are descendants of the Warm Springs and the Wasco. It's such a different landscape than we've seen before. Like, we've come down through the coast, and you know, right. we were in Bend yesterday, but suddenly we're in really like the, the high desert here, I guess. Yeah, it's a very high desert. And right now, um, the roots are drying up. We, we harvest the roots down here, but the wild celery is coming in harvest. So me and my husband both are very active in harvesting our first foods yet year round. And which is, again, it's, a, it's our way of staying connected to our roots and our way of life and staying in her bounty and her harvest. All right, we're here on our first stop. The Chutes River is looking good today. I'm feeling excited. I think I might catch my first fish today. I'm in good hands. Uh, when I, and when I say I might catch my first fish, I think I mean Alicia might catch my first fish for me. <laughs> so um, what I'm going to show you is, I like to tell people when they're first learning it, to go hold the fly rod is, you're saying hello, goodbye. Hello, goodbye. And that's the form you need. You need this 180 motion. Hello, this, I'm lifting up my hello, arm. Goodbye, I'm casting Goodbye. Yep. yep. It's about keeping that same consistency and that fluent motion. Okay. okay. So on three, you're going to pull forward. One, two, three. Perfect. Okay, so that's good form there. Okay. Good. So now that we got this motion down, what I want to show you now next is a roll cast. So when you roll cast, you bring your fly halfway in to you, kind of drag it. Your rod tip will go high up in the air and you flick it out and over. Okay. It's a little challenging to learn at first. Okay. It's all timing. It's all yep. flying management and timing it. Perfect. Just put, pulling up the slide. I like this. This feels good, actually. Right? You like roll oh, wait, casting. I saw a bubble. You're a natural roll caster. Anytime there's branches and trees like this, this is coverage for fish. This is where fish like to be. Absolutely. If they're not out here, they're going to be down there close to the embankment where you see that big trout come out. They know there's flies over here. They know there's a bunch of food, and they're like, I'm staying close in because I want a good meal. So how much of it is just about like knowing the ecosystem of the river? I, I would say that God, I've really just seen a really, really big fish rise. I'm sorry. Oh my gosh. Yeah. First so, things first. It's so huge. I'm like, ah. Let's, <laughs> go, let's go get it. We have to go down that, to that one. Yeah, you know, we can't, we can't leave that one there. We'll make our way up to the embankment. We're going to drop down that way. Right, sounds good. Oh my goodness. That was a freaking toad. Okay, so come down here. We're actually getting to wade yes. into the water now, which is kind of the bit I was looking forward to the most. I always seen fly fishermen and women out there casting their rods from the river. It always looks so cool and peaceful. Ooh, something's jumping. Perfect. It's like a little game of chess with the trout. The trout or the grandmaster. another foot out yep just like that so you're becoming way fluent because you're getting way comfortable and it's becoming more natural so you're working it you became Ooh. one with the flow you really do it does feel like you're be becoming well i'm becoming more connected with the river can i do a cast out yeah again? yep perfect oh my goodness yes you graduated roll casting <laughs> I love that. You corrected it. You're like, it's too close in? Yep. <laughs> Perfect. 
So now start out again, roll cast, side cast right in front of you. Leave it out there, leave it out there. We want to make sure nothing's going to say hello. Put your tip down and keep letting it drift all the way down. All the way till it straightens out below you. There. Oh, that's okay. Yes, yes. Come on. Yes. Life on the All line. Right. My first fish. Tug is a drag, man. This Who is would have thought I caught back. a four foot thirty-five pounder my first time? <laughs> so if you look at this, see how he's got a uh -huh. really dark back and a really chromy body? Yeah. This is a stillhead smoke. So you can technically tell people. I caught my first steelhead of the year. I caught and my first steelhead of the year. Even they don't need to know the size. <laughs> know, even if it was a baby, it's still a steelhead. <laughs> it's not a baby. <laughs> so, let's take this fly out and then I'll let you grab it and release it. I'm gonna release it? You're gonna, you know, that's your fish. All right. So. I don't think I've ever wait, 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 wait. Yeah, you're, you're, gonna, you're gonna touch your first fish and I'm gonna get a picture of your first fish. All right, where do I grab it? Just get a grip on it. Anywhere? Yep. Okay, come on. He's slippery little fucker, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> He's winning this battle. Okay. Okay. Oh, God. I can't. <laughs> there we go. I got him. All right. Wow. Can you enlarge this in Photoshop later? <laughs> I mean, he's barely poking out my hand. Okay. <laughs> he's so life at the end of the line. <laughs> Don't worry, little mate. You're going back in. Good. Yeah. All right. There you go, buddy. Bye. Have a good life. Water is life. <laughs> There's more. Yes. Now let's get mom or papa, our All big right, brother, yeah, our big yeah, sister. Exactly. Yes. Let's work my way up the food chain here. Sweet. That's cool. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so happy. It may be the smallest fish ever to be caught on the Lower Deschutes River, and producer Jason may have caught a genuine prize fish exactly two minutes later. But I don't mind, because it's not really about catching the fish, for me at least. It's about connecting with the river. And though Alicia is clearly addicted to the drug of the tug, catching toads, as she would say, isn't all it's about for her either. We call it river therapy. We're in a session of river therapy right now. I feel it. I feel so, it. So, and 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 not only that, I, I teach our clientele like, when you get here, if you got a lot of blah 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 going on in the brain, and you're just here, there, scattered everywhere, it's gonna show when you're trying to get this natural. Because you're here to let go. You're here to dial in with Mother Nature. Let it all go. Let it go and dial in. Once you do, then it's going to be rewarding and it's going to pay off. You mentioned you're involved in a lot of advocacy and conservation. We became a voice for the voiceless, which these fish can't speak. They can't tell us if they're sick or if they're not feeling good or the water's too warm or there's too much chemicals and crap in there. And So a lot of the river warming up and everything and the pH levels has a lot to do with this the fish becoming sick and they're resilient fish but it's like how resilient should they have to be so that's why me and my husband became a voice for them because they are our first foods for one but we have to have something for our future generations to come it's about our kids it's about them and their kids we have to leave something for them so as indigenous we believe of preserving for future generations I mean, look at this. This is a wild area. This is a very wild, scenic area. To have something wild, you have to give back. It's our duty. <laughs> Even if there's a bunch of garbage here and it wasn't mine, I'm going to pick it up because we don't need microplastics in here. We don't need trash coming in this river. I mean, if you're going to consume these fish, guess what you're consuming part of, what they're ingesting, you know? So I always say we're here for, as a indigenous first and then as a fly fishing outfit. First foods is something you've mentioned quite a few times. What, what is that for people that don't know? So the first foods is for the first people of this nation. We were here first. We got put on our reservations and our way of life was taken from us. And so our first foods are, excuse me, our first foods are the salmon, the trout, the steelhead, the sturgeon, the eel, the lamprey eel, all these fish 
the roots, the celery, the choke cherries, the huckleberries. The list is extensive. It's deer meat, it's elk meat, it's antelope. These are all our first foods and they're all affected when we can't take care of the land. We can't take care of the river. When we don't have any of this anymore, we're not gonna have it. We're already seeing it. The steelhead are going away. The salmon are getting smaller. Those are our first foods. And that's why it's so important for us to do what we're doing. It may not even be enough, but at least it's something. We're not just doing nothing. So that's our first foods. There's an old Native American proverb which says, only when the lost tree has been cut down, the lost fish has been caught, and the lost stream poisoned, will we realize that we can't eat money. section of our road trip around Oregon, the Central Nature Trail, has been a journey of wonder, a journey of awe-inspiring landscapes and quiet rivers, deep time and pure silence. And those glimpses, those gifts of deep connection, awe and immersion in the natural world ask that we give something back too. They ask that we care. We are all, each one of us, stewards of this land and experiencing that wonder, and there's plenty of that here, is the foundation from which that care grows, whether it's the top of a mountain or a lava cave beneath the earth. We drive north to the Columbia River Gorge, a 4,000 foot deep river canyon that meanders along the northern edge of Oregon for 80 jaw-dropping miles. We are close to Portland now, where we began, but we have one stop left. Well, we've reached the end of our road trip and what a spectacular place to end. I'm on the bridge overlooking the 620 foot drop of Multnomah Falls, one of the most awe-inspiring places, not just in Oregon, not just in the Pacific Northwest, but in the whole of America. And it's a fitting place to end such an epic trip. This is what Oregon is all about. Raw nature, wild nature, and the pure joy of exploring this unbelievably awesome and spectacular part of the country. We've seen a lot. In Portland, we discovered community and independence, and we ate and drank and laughed our way all the way through that beautiful, eclectic diversity. In the Willamette Valley, we found entrepreneurship and grit and a connection to the land and determination that has given birth to some of the best wine you will ever drink in your life. In Eugene, we found artists, we found community, we found inspiration and innovation, and we found adventure wherever we went. On the coast, it was wild, it was rugged. There is nowhere quite like it, where the Pacific Ocean crashes up against deserted, windswept beaches and lush forests and small towns with amazing fish and chips, some of the best you'll ever eat. We kayaked with whales, we hiked headlands, and we stood at the feet of giants. But we also found quiet reflection in nature. We found wonder and awe from the top of the deep blue sparkling crater lake like a sapphire jewel rained down from the sky to the dark recesses of the earth and the quiet rivers where salmon and trout jump on every reel. We learn of deep time. We felt humility. We learn of stewardship and conservation of the land. We stopped, we listened, and we felt a part of this beautiful wilderness that covers every corner of this state. But more than anything, we made new friends, the guides and locals who took us under their wing and showed us their hidden treasures and secret spots. And we thank them all for that. No one thing can define a place or a people. But in Oregon, three might do. Weird, wild, and wondrous. That is the Oregonian spirit. And these are its hidden trails.
Thanks for joining us for the third leg of our road trip around Oregon. If you'd like to take these hidden trails yourself, you can find out how to do so by going to traveloregon.com. Lots of great info up there about this trip, all the episodes in this series, and everything else you need to know to plan your next Oregon adventure. And though this may be the end of this series, there's more to come. So make sure to follow and subscribe wherever you get your shows. Thank you to all the expert guides and locals featured on this show. Nathan Dwyer from Main Street Tours in Ashland, Chris Pleasance from Wanderlust Tours in Bend, and Alicia Littleleaf from Little Leaf Guide Services in Warm Springs. We couldn't have done it without you. Thank you for some awesome times we will never forget. This series was produced by Armchair Productions, the audio experts for the travel industry. Find out more at armchair-productions.com. I wrote and presented the show, and Jason Patton engineered and produced it. We'll see you next time on the Hidden Trails of Oregon.